Please be aware there's descriptive violence which might offend sensitive listeners in this episode. Previously on Alibi. The same policeman, they made statements that was contradicting the other statements. Statements which contradicted the evidence that was laid at trial. And um, our opinion was that the police were aware of the contradictory statements. The prosecution must have been aware of the contradictory statements. And they did not disclose this to the court, you know, and that's a miscarriage of justice. In other words, when they pay you out, they are guilty of torturing. I'm Freddie Mabitella, and welcome to episode 5 of Alibi. Now, this show is about finding out if Anthony de Vries is guilty or innocent of his crimes. Now, last week, we found out that there were two versions of events on the day of the murders. Both versions were given by the same cops, but at different times, and the details are vastly different. Basically, one set of the statements, those heard at trial was strongly linking the BMW to the murders as a backup vehicle and, in turn, strongly linking Anthony to being the BMW driver. And the other set of events, which was taken when Anthony was arrested, was far less damning. Now, the journalist who's been studying these statements and investigating Anthony's case is Paul McNally. Hi, Paul. Hi, Freddie. Now, Paul, last week we talked about these two sets of statements. But you also say that what is important about the statements is that how we managed to find these statements. We got these statements because of an investigation done into Anthony's allegations of abuse against the police. And these were investigated by a man called Rabiki Joyfus Moremi, who at the time was an internal investigator for the police. This means he looked at abuse charges brought against the cops. Now, you mentioned last week that if we find Moremi, we would better understand Anthony's injuries and where they come from. Yeah, if we found Moremi, then it could explain why he was covered in blood on that day of the arrest. Up to this point, it's been tough to get clarity on Anthony's injuries. However, it stands to reason that we need to look at someone's injuries when looking at abuse. So Miremi will have looked at this completely impartially. And if we get answers on Anthony's injuries, then we can figure out where he was and what he was doing on that day. The first thing we need to know is where Miremi is at this moment. Hello, it's uh, Mr. Miremi there, please. Yes. This is Mr. Miremi speaking. Hi. Um, my name the Miremi we're looking for now works as a private investigator. But I don't have a number for him, so I'm going through a list of Miremis in the phone book. Well, digitally. The phone book is on the internet now. The important part to remember when cold calling through the phone book is every person will answer with the name of the person you're looking for. In this case, Miremi. They are obviously not necessarily the right person. Oh, no, this is, this is not the one. You weren't a police officer? No, I'm not a police officer. Do you know of any Miremis who were police officers? Yeah, I, I heard about him, but I've never met him. Another detail I know from Anthony's brother Selwyn is Miremi lives in Daverton in East Johannesburg. I persist in going down my list of Miremis because I have an image of Anthony suffering in my mind. And I want to know if that image is true or if he really was guilty. Hello, um, is Mr. Miremi there, please? Speaking here. 
Hi, Mr. Miremi. Uh, this is Paul McNally. Um... I explained to this Miremi that I'm a journalist and I'm working on what could be one of his cases, if he's the right Miremi. I say the name Anthony DeFries and I actually get some recognition. Uh, Anthony DeFries. Anthony DeFries, yeah. Uh, how long? He was arrested in 1994. Okay. Uh, um, I know it was a long time ago. Um, yeah, I, re- I remember the name, but now I cannot make out what was the case about, you know. This sounds like the Miremi I'm looking for. I tell him I really want to understand the details of Anthony's abuse. All right. Uh, what do you want me to do now? I was just wondering if we could um, chat about the case. There's just a few things that seem inconsistent. He said he would meet me at this stop street right in front of me. I think, I don't know exactly what he looks like. Out in the road, a man in a Kaiser Chiefs cap is beckoning me towards him. Kaiser Chiefs is a local soccer club. Okay, perfect. I drive through Miremi's gate, it is roughly chest height, and park my tiny car. There is a tavern built into the front of Miremi's house, with beer advertising, signage and everything. It's called Miremi's Cabin. So Miremi's Cabin, yeah? Ah, okay. Miremi says it's actually one of his sons that owns the tavern. I follow Miremi across his small patch of front yard and into his house. Miremi's front room is filled with sideboards and couches crammed into small spaces. He is long retired and in his 70s, but he has a hard, no-nonsense way about him. He testified at the Goldstone Commission, formerly known as the Commission of Inquiry regarding the prevention of public violence and intimidation. It was a commission intended to investigate political violence in the early 90s in South Africa. And for a large chunk of his career, Miremi worked on internal investigations. So this is scrutinising the crimes of other cops. No, I worked in the detective for a long time. Yeah. And I almost know when the guy is lying. I don't have to put a tube on his mouth. No, 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 no. Miremi says with total confidence, and I have no reason not to believe him, that to extract information out of someone, instead of torturing them, you simply give them time. I'll just leave him when I see he starts uh, stammering and doing all these things. I'll just leave him for a couple of seconds and say, OK, I'll come back just now, go to the toilet. You must think, you must read in while I'm away, you know? And I come back maybe after 30 minutes. I say, no, what's it? How did that happen? <laughs> I've brought three plastic bags full of paperwork for Miremi. He settles into the first bag with a smile on his face. We are sitting on hard wooden chairs, but in front of all of Anthony's court and police paperwork, Miremi suddenly looks incredibly comfortable. Yes, I'm thinking of the police court. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to work with a lot of uh, papers. And when I knock off duty from Vanderbilt back to Davidton, you find the murder and robbery squad members waiting for me on the highway there. They want to shoot at me. Who? Who wanted to shoot at you? The police. When? The time I was investigating these cases, police atrocities. Miremi's wife is at the table beside us. She watches Miremi's every motion. Feeling like she should be included, I ask her how she feels about Miremi's line of work. And Miremi cuts in and answers for her. 
<laughs> she, she doesn't trust anybody who's with me. She thinks they're going to kill me because now I've sent so many people to jail. <laughs> he doesn't trust when I say Mr. is coming to see me today. He says, like hey. me. Yeah, he says maybe he's one of the suspects, you know, oh. who, who were sent to jail. <laughs> they they're come back to, to shoot him, to kill him. He made a lot of enemies over the years. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Hey, I've got so many enemies. But when I phoned, I talk about the eternity. Freeze, blah, blah, blah. Mm -mm. This guy's coming to kill you. Mm. Well, I'm flattered that you think that. Send somebody to jail. Then after he is released from prison, he says, I want that. Echoing our other experts, Miremi says the police were especially overloaded in the early and mid-90s. There's so many cases, man. And there, there was no order in the police force at that time because they knew the NC was going to take over. So you must have seen so much. <laughs> Too much. Too much. Okay, let's dive into Anthony's injuries. What did you find out from Miremi? Well, when the BMW was found, after it crashed into the truck, the dashboard was covered in blood. And the police conducted a check on the blood. And the blood type was a match for Anthony de Vries. OK, wait. So Anthony's blood type matched what was in the BMW. OK, this isn't as damning as it sounds. Each person on the planet falls into one of four categories. A, B, A, B and O. So the categories are broad. OK, so there's still a chance. but. It must make you feel a little uneasy. What about DNA evidence? The DNA collected for Anthony's case wasn't used at trial and wasn't available when compiling the appeal. The samples collected by the police are now spoilt and unavailable. Okay, no DNA was found. But if it is Anthony's blood that was in the car, then it means he was the driver of the BMW, right? Yeah, that's what it means. That's what it means. And being in the BMW means being with the guys who shot with AK-47s at the police. Yeah, that's also right. So imagine it, Constable Gibson and Warren Officer Rickard, they've been chasing the BMW, right, in their car. And after the crash, Rickard gets out of his police vehicle and goes after the driver of the BMW on foot. Here's Miremi again. This man was running in the field. Mm, the driver was running. Mm. Yeah. You see, there were three in the car. And then these two, the one with an AK and the one that was shooting on the other end, were lying on the floor. You see, he says, he chased after the driver. He chased? Chased. At end, he felt a heart drop. He ran to the field, né? and then he noticed that he couldn't reach him. I want to find out, yeah, man, it's interesting, like a movie now. Miremi's right. This part is like a movie. Rekhart says in his statement that he shot at the driver of the BMW as he ran away. If Anthony was shot here, that means when we see him in the photo covered in blood, it is because he was shot by Rekhart, right? Yes, this gunshot would link Anthony's injuries to being the driver of the BMW. But there is still no sign of these medical records. Okay, but there's, you know, there's other evidence here that could be collected. What about fingerprints on the scene? Okay, that's a good question. They actually took Anthony's fingerprints when he was charged, but no match was found. 
However, according to Anthony, after they brought him to the BMW site, they actually tried to force him to touch objects like guns in order to incriminate himself further by leaving fingerprints around the crime scene. This is according to Anthony's original statement that Maremi read out to me. Here's Maremi with more on what the police told Anthony to do at the scene. The BM was already arrested or was already there. Then they said... Search for your firearm, the one that you used to kill that, what you call that, white man. Yes. How can you get a person from the field there? From there you say to, you say, hey, look for a firearm from from this car. The police asked him to search for 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 a gun from the BMW. They didn't say that he had a gun on him? No, no, no. No, no, no. They said he must search for it on the BMW. Mm. Search it, we want it. Yeah. You are found, assaulted by the police, you are brought to the scene. They say, search. Why did the policeman not search for a gun? They wanted him to take a gun out of the car and then take him photos. Of the BMW. Yeah, that's yeah. why they said he must search for it. Maremi ponders this for a moment and then he says, So now, you can see that these policemen are fabricating the case. Yeah. They want the conviction of this guy because he was found loitering in the street. You know, unfortunately, if he did not do it, he was found. He's, he's the most unfortunate guy. I show Miremi the sets of statements given by the two police officers, Gibson and Rekard. I show him the crazy differences. I ask him, does he agree that this is out of order? Are these the statements we looked at last week? Yeah, that's right. The ones that looked at the time the BMW was spotted and how the driver was identified. Yeah, that's right. Here's Maremi. This is police. But but he's, his original statement was so short. Check. It's yeah, just, this, this one is cooked. <laughs> it's what? Cooked? Cooked, yeah. Well, what do you mean by that? They were dictating to him what to say. Anthony says he was assaulted at the scene of the BMW and then taken to the police cells. Here's Maremi reading from his own findings about Anthony's abuse. There was a white who was there. He came to them and hit them on their head and up on Slecham and all over the body. He hit them with a person. I can't see what he wrote there. He hit them with a certain object. I can't read what object mm. it is. Uh, some of the policemen hit them with the chairs. Hit them with chairs? Mm, chairs in the office there. All over the body, and the and with fists. They were hit them on the faces. Tavastule and Okmet, Heskunde, they also they were kicked uh, all over the body. They hit them all the time, right through. I say, okay, at about four o'clock, they decided to take them to hospital because they were injured. Yeah? Mm. Maremi also wrote extensively about how Anthony's co-accused, Calvin, was injured during the arrest. Now, we haven't really looked at Anthony's co-accused at all yet, but we will definitely, in a later episode, they are going to become vital for the case. Calvin Collins, who alleged that Marie... Marie assaulted him. He actually broke his right upper arm. 
Kelvin make mention that he, he Mare Khriev and Chaga show, uh, put the electric shock on him, on the private part. Maremi keeps reading and reading and soon develops a huge smile on his face. Maremi continues to read his own summary of his findings. You got a smile on your face. <laughs> no, 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 I'm just thinking. You know, my mind is always thinking. Uh, you see, the, the, what, he, what he's, he's saying in his statement is exactly how the police operate. And what, what do you mean? That is modus operandi they use to get the truth out of the accused. He makes it as it is done by the police. Well, what specifically is, is giving he that He take away? a bag, a bag, he close his eyes, he, we call it a tube. They make That's him what they to, did to him? Yeah, they make him to suffocate, you see. That is how the police operate, if they want you to take out the exhibit or whatever. But do you think because a guy was assaulted, that doesn't necessarily mean he's innocent, though, either? Right? Why is he assaulted? I don't know. If you've got enough evidence, why do you assault him? But in your, in your experience, people that are assaulted, are they usually innocent? Most of the time. But sometimes, you know, it's 50-50. 50-50, okay. Mm. The photos of the complainant indicate visible scars, which were not mentioned by the doctors. In other words, I did uh, see him. I could see visible scars which were on his face, which were not mentioned on a J88. I hold up a severely damaged and smudged J88 form. The J88 is a legal document that is completed by a doctor or nurse and it documents injuries. This one is pretty much unreadable, except for the date of the 13th of April, 1994. That's this thing. Yeah. I say in my statement, I saw scars which were fresh on his face, which astonished me because the doctor did not make mention on his statement. These are injuries that Anthony sustained during his assault, but they weren't recorded outside of the abuse investigation. So in the murder case, they were never mentioned. Remy keeps reading. I find myself in possession or to believe that the complainant in these three dockets is there is medical evidence that the people or complainants were injured whilst under the police custody. That's what you're saying. Mm -hmm. The police, on the other hand, do not deny nor give any explanation about how the complainants got injured. Okay? The Court records as well as the charge sheets do not show any resisting or attempting to escape of any of the complainants. Who else could have assaulted the complainant if the police if the police cannot explain their position? I strongly believe that the suspect should be charged in these case dockets so that justice should be done. You mean in the, and you're meaning the police then? Yeah, I, I suggested that. So you suggest, what are you suggesting exactly? <laughs> I, I, I suggested that they should be charged. As they cannot explain their position. They, they cannot explain their position, the police. That how did they get injured? Mm. They can't explain it. And then I strongly believe that the suspects should be charged in these case dockets so that justice should be done. So then, I mean, from your statement, it seems that you found 
that these guys had been tortured. Yeah. A, 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 a sober person would come to that conclusion. So let's recap. We have the fact that the blood in the BMW is the same type as Anthony's. Yeah, not a DNA match, but the same type. So if there was DNA evidence, this could have proved his innocence or his guilt. Yeah, yeah, we'd have it all sealed up right away. And the police allegedly tried to force him to leave his fingerprints at the scene. Yeah, it's horrendous. Now, Muremi has just confirmed that the statements from the police, the ones we looked at last week, were crazily different. The word he used was cooked. And this brings into question the reliability of the statements and by extension, if they should have ever been used to find Anthony guilty. And he seems to confirm that Anthony was horribly abused by the police and his injuries were not recorded on any official form. When I asked Anthony about what happened to his abuse case, he said it went to the Criminal Investigation Department or the CID, which has now been renamed IPID, the organization that handles complaints towards the police. Anthony said he has never heard anything back. While watching Maremi get so excited about his police work, I'm curious why he took such an early retirement. Do you feel like, you know, you want to get back into it? Yeah. Like that. Like it or not. <laughs> you are? I say I like it. <laughs> it makes one keep younger. Muremi says he retired in 1996, not long after working on Anthony's case. How did you feel when, it, when you retired? Uh, actually, I was forced to retire because my son was arrested. He was sentenced to 27 years. Sorry. For attempted murder. Muremi's son was arrested for being part of a shooting where a policeman was murdered. This, by the way, isn't the same son who owns the tavern that's built into the front of the house. This son owns taxis. And I went to listen to the evidence. And I thought, no, the, the judge made a mistake by finding my son guilty. Because he didn't shoot him. He didn't shoot. He was in a tavern. When these people shot at that policeman, he, he was not there. When they, after they shot the policeman, they came to the tavern, they find him sitting on a table, drinking. The police stomped in and find him drinking with these people. Mm. Then they arrested them all. He was found guilty because of... Uh, What's that term again they use in... Common uh, purpose. Yeah, common purpose. That's the same as Anthony. Anthony was convicted under common purpose. This means if you commit a crime as part of a group, then you are responsible for all the crimes committed by that group. Then they said to me, 30,000 rand bail for your son. I did not have the money. Mm. That's a lot of bail. Then I decided, Naman, Instead of waiting for my pension, my pension will take longer for me to receive. The best is to take a package because it will come immediately. Then <laughs> hmm. I said, um, I want to go. And then I, I took the money, 80,000 paid bail for the boy. And then he went out 
He gave him 27 years. But after listening to the evidence, I said, never. Mm. I argued with the bloody judges, with the magistrate. Call him, go to his office and tell him, but uh, how did you come to this conclusion? He cannot charge me for contempt. He's out of his, of the court. Saying, yeah, make an appeal. I said, okay, I'll make one. When I made an appeal, on appeal, it was kicked out of the Supreme Court. On what grounds? That there is no evidence that would put him on the scene of crime. This similarity between Anthony de Vries and Miremi's son, this shared charge of common purpose, gives Miremi a particular passion for Anthony's case. He's old now, he's about 40-something years. <laughs> he's 40-something. He must be very grateful. He must be grateful, but he doesn't show that. Not to this children, <laughs> they don't show it. He just said, my father, it was my father's duty to take me out of prison. <laughs> Finish and clap. <laughs> In this report, Miremi has documented all of Anthony's injuries. It involves a consultation with the doctor, other police officers, and he's paging through it, reading his own handwriting. So Miremi keeps paging through, and suddenly his eyes widen. They pop out of his head. He tells me that his memory has been jogged. This is important. He tells me. He holds up a form. It is a report from a prison doctor. I look at it more closely. It is from the period of five months that Anthony spent in remand detention before receiving bail. (gasps) Miremi draws in a deep breath and reads out an injury for Anthony that has not been mentioned anywhere else in this story. The injury stated by the prison doctor is a bullet graze on the cheek. Anthony has never mentioned this. I mean, a bullet graze to the cheek. It's pretty serious. The second Miremi says the words bullet graze, the whole story feels like it loses cabin pressure. It makes me ask, first, why didn't Anthony tell me this? Second, who else has been shot in this story besides the two security guards who were murdered? The only other person who's been shot was the driver of the BMW, the driver who ran away and was chased by the police on foot. This injury could mean that Anthony was the driver. So at this point, what do you think of Anthony? Well, I came to Miremi for proof of torture and sort of sympathy for Anthony. And I have got that, but I now have this huge, damning piece of evidence against him. Now, a police officer says that he shot at the driver of the BMW. And now we learn that Anthony has a bullet graze. Yeah, I have to be honest with you, Freddie. At this point, I'm starting to think there is a chance that Anthony was inside that BMW. Maybe he didn't pull the trigger on the security guards. Maybe he wasn't at the checkers at all. And maybe the BMW wasn't linked to the murders in any way. But what are we going to do? Okay, so now what's our next step? What are we doing next? Okay, we need to solve the case of the injuries. We need to address this bullet graze and find out exactly what it means. And will you ever get to ask Anthony about this bullet graze? Yeah, I'm determined. I'm determined to confront him about it. And all of this is next week's episode of Alibi. You've been listening to Alibi. 
This is the show that will investigate a single criminal case over eight weeks. I'm Freddie Mabitella, and Alibi is investigated, produced, and written by Paul McNally. It is brought to you by the Vitz Justice Project, Vitz Radio Academy, and is part of the Citizen Justice Network. Editorial oversight was given by Franz Kruger and Nusheen Afani. Extra scripting and production by Elna Schultz. Mixed by Gutrano Serrane. Additional editorial help by Gavin Haynes, Tom McNally, and Kyla Hemmonson. We are based in Johannesburg, South Africa. You can find our podcast on alibi.org.za or on iTunes. Join us next week for episode 6 of Alibi, the show that will investigate a single criminal case over 8 weeks. Next time on Alibi, Paul gets some modern-day medical advice. Any kind of wound can be caused by varying mechanisms. They usually have a, a couple of characteristics. You know, if, if it's losing contain an explanation for the graze, uh, you know, then I'd be inclined to, uh, you know, to buy this uh, uh, job seeker uh, story, but he cannot explain it.